be bold and be brave and just go for it. As photographers, we are always looking for powerful images that, that will hold time in place, that will draw people in and symbolize something universal, something shared, something emotional. Everybody needs to see what's going on everywhere. Pictures just stand out. This is how we remember. Insights, kits, and the conversations that matter with the world's leading photographers and filmmakers in Shutter Stories. In case you missed the big news today, Canon introduced two brand spanking new cameras into its EOS R system lineup. I'm talking about the Canon EOS R7 and the EOS R10, APS-C cameras that join the full frame range. Now, additionally, Canon has also released two brand new RFS lenses. So in today's episode, we dive deep and find out all about these exciting new cameras and lenses. Hello and welcome to Shutter Stories with me, your host, Lucy Hedges. Now, joining me today are two photographers who were lucky enough to shoot with these new cameras in Spain. Wildlife photographer Danny Connor got behind the EOS R7 in Andalusia National Park and Diana Milos, a travel and lifestyle influencer, explored Seville with the EOS R10. So first things first. Hi, Danny. Hi, Diana. How are you going? Hi. Hi, Lucy. It is a pleasure to have you on the show. We're also joined by Canon European Product Marketing Manager, John Maurice, who accompanied Danny on her shoot in Angelusia and is here to give the technical lowdown on precisely what these exciting new cameras can do. John, welcome to the show. Thanks. Great to be here. Always a pleasure to have you on. Um, so, John, let's start with you. Can you start by giving us a very quick, let's say 60 second lowdown or so on what the main features of the R7 and the R10 are and what they offer users? Thanks, Lucy. So yes, these are massive cameras for Canon. So these are two new APS-C models in the EOS R range of mirrorless cameras. And so just by being APS-C, they are different to what's gone before in the EOS R range being full frame up to this point. And uh, feature-wise, uh, they have some of the technology which uh, is already present in the OSR range. So they both have deep learning uh, autofocus with the dual pixel CMOS AF2. Uh, so excellent at autofocus. Uh, they have 24.2 and 32.5 megapixel sensors. Um, they are also stunningly fast. Um, 15 frames per second mechanical shutter up to 30 frames per second um, as an option for electronic shutter. Both also feature 4K video. They both have APS-C sensors, so they give you a bit of extra reach and a bit more compactness. And both have Wi-Fi connectivity as well. Additionally, for the EOS R7, uh, it has the in-body image stabilizer, which makes it slightly different from the EOS R10. So that's it in a nutshell. In, in I think it was about 60 seconds. <laughs> um, yeah, you did well to I wrap that trying. up. Um, <laughs> so talking about a couple of cameras that, you know, really combine pro features with uh, APS-C sensor. Yeah, it's the sort of merging of uh, the technology that uh, many people have sort of noticed from the R5, the R6 and the R3, um, but bringing it to the APS-C format uh, to give additional benefits as a combination. Yeah. So tell me, who will be using these cameras, John? I think a lot of enthusiasts um, and amateur photographers and videographers in the market will be interested in these cameras. Sort of enthusiastic crowd 
who are looking to shoot perhaps wildlife uh, because of the, the nature of speed and the reach required for that genre. Uh, APS-C gives you a benefit. Um, and just looking at the headline specs of uh, 15 frames a second, you need that kind of speed for wildlife and sports and action. So uh, that that will be a big sort of strong point for for these cameras. Um, I think with the EOS R10, it's a slightly more all-rounder model. So it's probably going to appeal to sort of a wider range of users for things like travel, um, general photography, and it will appeal to people who are learning uh, photography and video and want to take their photography to the next level. Yeah. Well, the spec list that you've already mentioned really does sound impressive and of course will appeal to different kinds of photographers. It's nice to have on videographers, it's nice for them to have I know the option to choose between between the two. Yeah, these are both hybrid cameras, um, which is a term more commonly used now uh, because people are looking uh, to shoot both photo and video with the same camera mm. and have you know the capability to do it with one one camera in one body. Yes. So Danny, I'm gonna I'm gonna move on to you. So you had the opportunity to use the R7 in the Andoar Natural Park in Andalusia. That's a bit of a mouthful um, in Spain. So and you used the camera to track the rare Iberian lynx. So tell me what was that like, and could you give us a bit of a sneak peek behind the scenes? Yeah. So it was an incredible experience. Um, the landscape was really cool, really rugged. Lots of mountains and these large rocks dotted around. And somewhere is this very well camouflaged Iberian lynx. And there's so much wildlife there uh, from bird of prey, including golden eagle and griffin vultures, which have an incredible wingspan. And we also saw lots of herbivores like red deer, Spanish ibex, mouflon, which are these goats with incredible horns. My guide, Jose Luis, has an incredible knowledge of the area and the wildlife and we were able to go to various locations that he knows really well to photograph some amazing wildlife. Yeah it really sounds like a tough gig Danny I can't believe it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah it was tough. But you know someone's gotta do it but the images that you've taken look amazing and just the environment just sounds incredible so an ideal situation to really put this camera through its paces so talk to me about what were your first impressions of the camera my first impressions were that it felt good in the hands I haven't got particularly uh, big hands so it felt really nice and it's light enough that I can use it handheld to vlog or with a long lens and I don't need a tripod and the stabilization is amazing Um, but yeah it just felt really nice and I moved from um, DSLR to mirrorless last year and Mm -hmm. it felt really familiar so that was really nice. And are there any you know particular features other than the kind of lightweight body which is definitely useful when you're on the front line shooting wildlife are there any other features that really stood out for you that really helped you get the job done? Yeah there were some really great features and one thing I really liked in particular was the ability to quickly flick between video and photo modes and I don't need to do it uh, in settings and I also had some custom modes set up so I could quickly flick between different photo settings or video settings and that is really useful for photographing wildlife because Wildlife is quite unpredictable. 
you don't know when it's going to appear and you don't know what it's going to do. So being able to be really flexible and adapt to situations was really, really cool. So being able to customise the camera and, you know, really fine tune, you know, the AF operation and other custom modes, that's really crucial to what you do. Yeah, definitely. Um, I loved the different AF uh, focus zones. And by the end of the week, I was really comfortable with the different focus zones. And they were particularly useful in different scenarios. For example, I was uh, aiming for a small bird to sit in a busy environment. So lots of branches, lots of leaves. And I only wanted a small area to uh, be focused. And so I'm basically, by having a small focus zone, I'm helping the camera. So when the bird is in front of my focus zone, the camera immediately tracks the subject, locks onto the eye, and I take my shot. Um, And I found this really useful when I was photographing crested tits. And they're really cool birds because they look like little punk rockers. They've got like this cool mohawk. Um, but a different scenario was when I was photographing, uh, birds of prey in flight and I couldn't predict where the bird will appear. Like if it's the top of the, um, sensor or the bottom, um, because they move quite quickly and having the full focus zone, I didn't need to select an area. Um, and even if just the tip of the wing was, uh, in shot, it would lock onto it. And that was really useful because yeah, birds move quickly and I could get the shots. And I guess it's it's just so, it's kind of a breath of fresh air to just be able to rely on a camera that's going to be able to work for you rather than you have to kind of add in extra steps and able to get those shots. It means you can focus more on what you're doing and less on the camera. Yeah, certainly for sort of what I do, because I'm constantly flicking between uh, shooting some video, shooting photos and with the sort of content I create, I like to have a variety of shots. So having a camera that is very quick and adaptable um, is really good for wildlife photography and creating uh, content about the adventure I'm on. I just wanted to say we had a bit of a plan when we were tackling the subjects and doing some of the things that Danny talked about there, because in some scenarios, you know where you're going to start tracking from. So the camera gives you the ability to put that initial area over a particular bird or animal and then track it from there, allow the camera to take over. Or you can allow the camera to uh, detect uh, the subject in the frame without any input. So it uses its um, subject recognition without you having to do anything. So we had a bit of a plan about which of those um modes we were going to use because often in a scene you've got lots of different birds in front of you and it's helpful to uh, at least give the camera uh, the bird that you're interested in um, because it might not be that every bird is interesting to you therefore you want to track (laughs) just one yeah so the birds in flight scenario you can't necessarily quickly tell the camera where the subject is you've got to rely on the camera to do that Um, so you you have no input first of all so the the camera can allow you to adapt to each type of those scenarios, uh, whether you're going to give it data or you're just going to allow the camera just to do its thing. It's a f- fantastic to be armed with something that's so versatile. Yeah, um, I think it's set up for um, to be as manual or automatic as you as you want it to be. There's an incredible amount of flexibility in the autofocus system. 
So John, talk to me about your game plan. You know, what was the process behind shooting wildlife? Uh, yeah, there was definitely um, some things that we did going into the scenario with the camera uh, because we knew that things could happen quite instantly in front of us. So uh, the R7 has three customizable modes, which you can pre-set up based on the scenarios you think you're going to be in. So with Danny, she works in manual. Um, so she normally sets all her exposure and everything in the camera and then works like that. So we set a manual mode for uh, photographing birds in flight with a high shutter speed uh, to capture the motion and obviously for continuous autofocus tracking. And then we had a mode set for uh, animal portraits that we knew we were going to get uh, with a lower shutter speed, a lower ISO to get as much quality that we could and one mm-hmm. uh, one shot autofocus, which is fixed focus. And then as things happened in front of us, we could switch between those two modes based on whether the bird was going to fly, which <laughs> I think, Danny, you were giving me some warning about. Um, so we'd switch the mode on the camera or she would. And then we had the same sort of setup for video where we had a 4K crop set to one of the modes where we could zoom in a bit more with the video and get closer. We had a 4K 60p mode um, to capture sort of slow motion and the bird, um, you know, moving around. And we had a 4K um, HQ mode um, just for the maximum quality that the camera can offer. Mm-hmm. So we were sort of switching between these modes. And once you've got them set up, it's really easy to uh, move between them based on what's, what's happening. I mean, Danny, I don't know what, how you felt about that experience because I had to explain a little bit that you can do this on the camera. Yeah, I'd never used the custom modes before. So it was definitely an eye-opener. And I feel like we were both quite stressed waiting for the bird to move. Um, but being able to just quickly change the dial and go between C1 and C2, that was really, really great. Um, but yeah, it was a cool, stressful experience. <laughs> yeah, I think we were just sort of in anticipation, weren't we? Just sort of because we had multiple birds in front of us in the scene, and one maybe was looking to fly, and one was, you know, happy where it was. So it was sort of switching uh, between both, weren't we? It was a pair of buzzards, so I knew roughly what they were going to do and I knew the female was going to fly off but I anticipated it would be a couple of minutes and it ended up being an odd 40 minutes so we were both (laughs) just ready to get the shots. Yeah it really sounds like you know these customization options sounds like a really big game changer for you Danny. Yeah definitely just being able to quickly adapt to different situations different light um, whether I need to do video or photo that's really great for me. Yeah, yeah. So Danny, let's talk a little bit about, I know you just kind of briefly touched on it, but your normal workflow, you know, and the kind of content that you create. Let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I create um, YouTube videos and I take my audience on a journey with me photographing wildlife. I like to talk about my personal experiences, uh, why I'm interested in wild animals, uh, and I try and excite people about the natural world. And for my style of content, I create videos um, of me photographing the wildlife, but I also need video of me reacting and shooting what I'm doing. Uh, And then I also need to take the photos. So I'm constantly doing 
a lot of things um and yeah you can't predict wildlife um and wildlife doesn't usually wait around so when the animal is in front of me i'm usually rushing about trying to do everything but yeah i need a camera like the r7 uh, that allows me to be quick and switching between dials so i can go from photo to video or switching between different modes is really beneficial for my work yeah, absolutely. It does sound like you have quite a multifaceted uh, setup. So this camera does really sound ideal for someone like you and the kind of scenarios that you shoot in. So you began shooting with a DSLR, right? And you've since moved to mirrorless. So talk to me about how you found that transition and what's made the biggest difference for you. It was definitely a learning curve. Um, it felt unfamiliar and very new to me because previously I was with the 5D Mark IV and before that the 5D Mark III. So I really got comfortable with that. And yeah, having the R5, there were so many new possibilities and it took me a while to learn these, but now it's completely changed my wildlife photography. Um, just like as simple as the viewfinder is electronic. So I can actually see what my photo will look like without actually moving my face from the viewfinder. So that means I can quickly change settings and just be really quick uh, because sometimes the light is quickly changing and you have to adapt really quickly. And being able to just see what the photo will look like is really useful. Um, but the R5 is incredible with its animal eye tracking. And as a wildlife photographer, that is really useful um just recently like i've been taking photos i'd never be able to take uh with a dslr um animals running towards you i just couldn't focus the camera quick enough but now i don't need to because the r5 and the mirrorless cameras are just so clever um so it's definitely changed it's been a game changer for my wildlife photography. Yeah, it really sounds like it, like a real eye-opening and kind of revolutionary experience um, for your work. So I'm, I'm glad you made the move. It sounds like it's uh, really been beneficial to what you do. Okay, Diana, you used the EOS R10 in Seville. So I'm going to move on to you now. It sounds like such a brilliant trip. Um, and likewise, your photographs, they look absolutely incredible. So can you start by telling us about your experience? Oh, the trip was so fun. And I have to say it was a pleasure to do it in my home country, especially in Seville, which is a city I love. It's so colorful, so full of monumental places. And Seville was perfect to test a camera and the travel to take travel photos. And is there any, you know, anything stand out on the trip that you want to share with us? Um, you know, your experiences with the, with the camera, kind of any shooting scenarios, any fun little anecdotes, you got anything to throw in there? Um, my favorite thing about the camera is that it's really small and lightweight. So it, it felt like really easy to, to use as well. So my favorite thing was, um, the, um, the eye detection technology and how fast it was. So, for example, when I was shooting the flamenco dancers, it would follow them no matter if they were twirling around. And the same with the rowers on the river, it would follow them. It doesn't matter how quick they went. And that was really, really useful. Yeah. And are there any other features that really stood out for you that really helped you achieve what you wanted to, what you set out to achieve? Um, 
Yeah, the, the thing that I love the most is how fast it is. Mm. And, and yeah, that really helped me to take the type of photos that I like to do. Okay. So the RF mount allows for the full suite of RF lenses to be used. And there's also a new RF lens range designed for the APS-C sensor, the RFS lenses, which will be compatible with both cameras. So what lenses did you use during the shoot? I'm going to throw this to Danny. um, And what did they enable you to achieve? It was actually a really cool experience because I'd never actually used any RF lenses. I've only used my EF lenses uh, with the adapter. So I was using a variety of lenses and one I really liked was the 100 to 500. And there was a snake in front of me at one point and I was having so Mm -hmm. much fun using... (laughs) It wasn't a dangerous one. It was... And it was actually really relaxed, which was quite good. Um, But I was able to like zoom out to 100 and get the whole body, get a bit of the environment and then zoom in to 500 and just get the close portrait of the face and get like the tongue um, sensing the environment and sensing me. So I really liked the flexibility of that zoom lens. Um, But when wildlife was quite far away, I used uh, the 800 lens and... That, that was really good for birds in flight in particular because the there was one time when the golden eagle was quite far away, um, but it's just a clear blue sky. So the camera was doing well at tracking it and picking it up, um, but having that reach really helped. And obviously with the APS-C sensor, I was actually getting even closer um, and it didn't, it didn't feel like an APS-C sensor. I was still getting... Uh, nice wide shots and even when I was vlogging with the camera um, I still was able to get really nice sequences. Yeah so and what are your what are your favorite lenses that you usually work with or that you use in your work and how have you found adapting lenses to your new mirrorless setup? My absolutely favorite lens is the 300 millimeter f2.8. I've had that for a few years and yeah it's just beautiful at f2.8 it is so sharp and it works extremely well on my r5 Uh, i love that lens because i can quickly stick on um, converters and it allows me to get closer to wildlife without adding more weight to my lens Uh, so even today i was using it at 600 millimeters and um, yeah it's still so sharp even with the converters yeah, it sounds like fantastic adaptability that really helped achieve the shots that you want to achieve. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay, Diana, I'm going to move on to you now. What lenses um, did you use and why? Um, I used mainly the 18-45mm lens and I also used the 18-150. And then I also used uh, the other type of lenses that I was using with my other camera, the 1018 for the wide angle shots and the 35 millimeters for portraits. Uh, but I have to say that the one that I used the most was the 1845 mm-hmm. millimeter lens. And it was really versatile. It, it allowed me to take many different types of photos in many different situations. And it was really, really handy. And the 18150 was really useful, not only for subjects in a long distance, but also for the macro features. When I took some photos like um, for the food and the market and also the tiles. So it was really cool to have that 
that possibility. Yeah. So we're talking about a lens here that really complements what you do. Yeah. Uh, I mean, for as a traveler, you need something that is versatile. Mm-hmm. And if you are going around the whole day, you you usually want to make it easy. And if you can have um, a lens or a couple of lenses that are uh, perfect for different types of shots and they are versatile, that's like the best option. Well, yeah, exactly. No one wants to be, you know, shifting lenses when you're going to potentially miss, mm-hmm. miss that crucial shot. So it's great to be able to rely on something that's so versatile and can take an array of different photographs. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. So Danny, I know you've been on quite the incredible photographic journey, but talk to me about how you got into wildlife photography. Yeah, well, I've been taking photos for 12 years now of wildlife. And it actually started when I was photographing my dog in a woodland and I started to notice nature around me. But I've been professional now for a year uh, and that kick started after I found some baby squirrels and had a few videos and photos go viral. Yeah, so that really propelled that propelled your career, essentially. The squirrels propelled your career. <laughs> yeah, viral baby squirrels. Yeah, that's what gets it. I imagine you weren't really expecting that kind of, that kind of feedback and that many views. Yeah, it was a complete surprise. The first video got almost 16 million views in just wow. a few days. And it caught the attention of some really cool people, but very unexpected. Yeah. And, and how would you say, you know, ambitious trips to photograph more elusive species impact your development as a photographer? It's always great to learn about photographing different species. Um, some animals are elusive because they're actually shy, um, but others like the lynx are just completely unbothered by people. And they're elusive because they just... Um, have such a large territory and they spend most of their time during the day sleeping. So actually seeing one is quite difficult, but when you do see one, they don't care. They just walk in a straight line. They don't really look around. Um, But it's really great learning how to photograph new species because you learn field skills about how to approach the animal um, and how to get closer without causing any disruption and sometimes you can approach wildlife like otters and they will not know you're there they are completely oblivious if you're downwind and you're very quiet and one thing that's great about mirrorless systems is that you can shoot completely silently um, which is really beneficial for photographing certain species yeah absolutely and I guess when you are shooting new species you really get a chance to find out what it is your camera can do as well yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, it, I was amazed with the R7 and how stable it was. Um, I could shoot handheld with a long lens quite comfortably and get relatively good video, um, which I've not ever been able to do. So that's really cool. Yeah, well, I was going to ask you, um, that's my next question. So what role does <laughs> shooting video as well as stills play in your work? <laughs> yeah, well... Since I've started on YouTube, my workflow and how I create content has evolved um, so much. And before, when you're in the mindset of photography, you're on very different settings and you just want sort of a close-up portrait. But with video, you want to show the whole situation. 
you want to show you walking there, you want to show the landscape, you want to show how the animal is moving, so you want to zoom out and show you know a wider context. Um, so over the past year, I've definitely been learning about how to get different angles um, and really show the journey I'm on through video. Um, because with video, you can see the movement of animals, you can hear the wind and the environment, um, and an image just shows a moment in that animal's life. So it's really nice to show my journey through video. Yeah, and I guess it's just really great to just show off what you can do more creatively. Like you said, you know, a snapshot is just a moment in time, but being able to really bring your audience into what you're doing with a high quality camera enables you to take high quality video and maybe be able to flip between the two really sounds like it's ideal for, for the wildlife photography that you do. Yeah, absolutely. And something I haven't actually talked about is the uh, 4K crop on the uh, R7. It will do a video crop, but it will still be 4K. And that was just so cool because I could almost be more zoomed in and like focus on the eye of an animal or just the face, but still sort of zoom out to the 4K. So yeah, video is really, really cool. And it's so cool to have all these new features available. And would you say, so this is, you know, given that you're kind of exposed to all these different new features, is it really pushing you to try different things and really experiment with the, the style of shooting that you usually do? Yeah, definitely. Um, and the week we spent in Spain, it was really cool to um, speak with John and he was teaching me all sorts of different things. So that was really cool. But one feature that actually blew my mind was the raw burst mode. So with wildlife, you can't predict when they're going to move, when they're going to yawn, when they're going to stretch their tail feathers. Um, and it was really cool to use this feature because with a half press on the shutter, it starts taking photos and it will constantly take new photos and clear the buffer of old photos. Um, but it will only save the photos onto your card when you fully press the shutter. And this can be so useful for a scenario when you're just waiting for an animal to do something. So, for example, you have a lynx in front of you and it's asleep, but you just know that it's going to wake up and you're probably going to ante anticipate it's going to yawn and you want to get capture the whole sequence. Um, but you're likely going to miss the start of it uh, without this setting um, because by the time you've realized the lynx is about to yawn you start pressing the shutter and maybe you're only going to get the second half of the yawn uh, but with raw burst mode the camera actually started taking the photos before you're even ready uh, and it was just really really cool I'm actually missing that feature now so I want an R7 back <laughs> <laughs> yeah I bet you do that sounds like such a brilliant feature and like you say you know it's so easy so easy to miss that beginning shot of a yawn or you know a tail tail feather opening or something like that so it's really impressive that you found this feature as jaw-dropping as you did yeah there were some really cool things on the camera that I miss now but yeah really cool features I think it helped me as well because I was shooting alongside Danny in the hide and I'm not used to anticipating uh, the, the animal moving. <laughs> so the camera is uh, constantly taking pictures. So half a second before you press the shutter, it's already taken pictures. So when you notice the bird wow. is gone, um, it saved those pictures to the memory card. So it doesn't matter if you've missed it. It's it's already got them saved. So that, 
Uh, I don't have the concentration of Danny. So it was helping me to get pictures when the action had already (laughs) happened. It sounds like you both complimented each other being there, you know, you with your camera expertise, John, and then Danny with her wildlife knowledge and patience to get the shots that you need to achieve when shooting animals in the wild. Yeah, but I think I made John more stressed. (laughs) I was just like, the bird is going to fly. I know it. I know it. (laughs) And then 20 minutes later, it flies. Oh, that is the nature of wildlife photography. But I guess it's just so great to just be able to rely on that feature. It's one less thing to stress about, to think about. And you know that when you go back or take a look over your shot, your shots, you've achieved what you wanted to achieve with what sounds like obviously effort, but less effort than you would on something else that doesn't have that feature. Yeah, wildlife photography in itself is a lot of effort. So having a clever camera is just game changing to my work especially, yeah. Yeah, it really sounds it. So Diana, I've talked to you about the R10. So how important is shooting um, handheld for you and creating content? You know, we spoke, you touched on this earlier, but I want to really pick your brain about how useful and how crucial this is for you on your travels. Yeah, as I said, the camera, the R10 is really lightweight and it's small, but it's still super powerful. So um, being so small and lightweight, it allowed me to have it on my hands at all times. So it allowed me to to shoot whenever I wanted. Like I was always ready for it. I was not like, because I have to be carrying the camera the whole day. And you never know when something is going to happen to take the photo. So it was really, really helpful to have something that is not super heavy so you can use it at any time. Yeah, yeah. And so both of you have lots of followers on Instagram. And Diana, you know, as we've mentioned, you're a travel and lifestyle influencer. So what do you feel is important in terms of social media content? What is it that people want to see? Well, um, social media trends are all the time changing and evolving, but in my experience, at least in the travel industry, what remains is this thirst for discovering new places or spots. So finding and sharing new locations that haven't been overdone or um, something with a wow factor or a corner where nobody took the photo before. I think that's key because that inspires people to, to continue exploring. Like, you know, because there are places that have been done in social media forever yeah but you can always find new places in every different destination so uh the travelers we look for that we always want to find new places wherever we go and to have that feeling that we have so much left to explore yeah and talk to me about how the r10 complements that experience then because obviously, you know, it's lightweight, which is fantastic. You know, it's really fast. It's snappy. You know, talk to me a little bit about some of the other features that you really dug your nails into. Uh, well, actually, during the the shot, uh, the, the shoot, I learned how to use some of the features that I didn't know I, I, the camera had. Like, for example, the focus bracketing. That was really amazing. I was amazed by it. Like, you can take uh, a photo and of something for example i was taking photos of the tapas and and the camera would take like different photos focusing on different spots of the frame and then the result photo where everything is 
totally focused. So you will have um, a variety of photos, like the ones focusing in different areas, and then the result where everything is on focus. And that was incredible. Yeah. So this is something that will really bolster your day-to-day work. So what difference might this camera make to the way you produce content moving forward? I think that the eye detection technology is going to be a game changer and also how quick it is so I don't miss any movements. I think that is the thing that is going to change everything for me. And I also love the the um, electronic viewfinder that was incredible as well to check the photos and and it was it felt really natural that you almost don't realize it's a screen yeah that's really what you want from a camera isn't it something that's effortless it's just second nature everything just happens rather than you having to think about it yeah exactly (laughs) (laughs) this camera really helps you to get the shot done yeah, yeah, it sounds it. It sounds fantastic. And Danny, on to you. What difference might the R7 make to the way that you work? I know we've kind of touched on that briefly, but I just want to hone in on that. And do you think it could open up new opportunities and perhaps enable you to produce even more immersive storytelling? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it definitely helps me take my audience on a journey with me and I can just be more relaxed almost when I'm in that situation where there is an animal in front of me and I know the camera is going to do the job. But even if I have a second camera filming me, I know if I have it on human and the animal eye detection is working and the tracking is working, I know it will be focused on me and I don't need to check anything. Um, So it's really, really cool. Yeah. And I guess it's an exciting new prospect as well. And I'm sure you cannot wait to get your hands on that camera again and take advantage of that raw burst mode. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I want that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. On that note, I want to say to Danny and Diana, thank you so much for sharing your incredible and very enviable experiences of the new cameras. Now, for those who may not have watched the films yet, um, visit the Canon Europe YouTube channel and you can check them out. And to read all about Danny and Diana's experiences, make sure you head over to the Canon Europe website for the full lowdown. And that moves us on to the next part of our podcast. We're now going to move on to an in-depth technical look at the cameras. You know, a bit of a discussion of where the cameras sit within the current Canon ecosystem and the wider imaging landscape. So John, the spotlight is on you. (laughs) It seems like we have some very, very extremely happy photographers here. And, you know, based on what Danny and Diana have just told us, I can see exactly why. Okay, so these are the first EOS R APS-C cameras to be introduced by Canon. This is a pretty big launch for Canon. So it's bringing the benefits of the EOS R system to the smaller APS-C image sensor format. So John, why did Canon want to launch these cameras and why now? It's a big question, um, but such an important (laughs) one. Uh, So yes, yeah, we obviously launched the EOS R uh, system in 2018. And um, the first camera to be launched was the original EOS R, which was full frame. And we announced some really exciting lenses at that time, uh, showing that uh, Canon can really do some amazing things with this system. And then over the last few years, we've been uh, building the system further and further. So greater range of lenses in the RF mount. We've been building uh, new, very exciting 
uh, semi-professional and professional models. A really exciting launch for us was the R5 and the R6 and then the R3. Mm -hmm. So we've been expanding the system uh, over the last few years uh, to a greater range of users, uh, but mainly at the professional end of the spectrum. Uh, But we know that there's a big group of photographers out there who I spoke about earlier who are uh, our rising stars and enthusiast uh, audience. And um, for many of them, they're using the APS-C format now. Uh, Perhaps they're shooting uh, APS-C DSLR. And um, as a photographer, you're always sort of uh, growing with your camera and you're looking for, okay, what's the next step? Do I buy a new lens? Do I buy a new camera? Do I buy a second camera? All those things in your mind, what would help me with my content and uh, photography and video. And uh, APS-C really does offer some, some great advantages um, we talked about the reach that APS-C can give you uh, compared to full frame. So it means that you get a uh, kind of a what they call a crop, 1.6 times crop on your lenses. So they will reach further and fill the frame with the subject. And that's what people are experiencing with the APS-C format right now. So say if I'm shooting with a 90D or an 80D uh, DSLR, then I'm getting closer to my subject uh, by using an APS-C camera. Combine that with the speed that those DSLRs offer, and you've got a really powerful sports and wildlife camera. So people um, want to stay within the APS-C format, uh, but have some of the benefits that we've talked about on uh, the uh, situations we've talked about today uh, with wildlife um, and travel. So um, it's right now to expand the system down from where it is uh, being full frame, um, to to APS-C format as well. So we're, we're talking about, you know, a system that offers real advantages or some advantages over full frame. Like you mentioned, reach, size, I'm guessing affordability yes. as well. Um, you know, something that's better noise control, greater depth of field and all of that without the bulk of a full frame camera. Yeah, it's, it's actually great that you mentioned that because some photographers are looking for that um, downsizing of the kit. And APS-C mm-hmm. offers a, a smaller and lighter body um, and uh, the possibility to use lighter lenses as well. Um, so these two new RFS lenses um, are, are incredibly light and compact. So um, that's a good practical advantage for APS-C. Yeah. And who doesn't like the sound of knowing that they can reduce the bulk of their kit bag? (laughs) Anyone who's been taking photographs for a really long time can attest walking around with a heavy camera bag is not that ideal. So it's nice to be able to chuck all the glass in, chuck the camera in your bag, go on your travels or go on your wildlife shoot and rely on kit that's lightweight and you're not going to be aching by the end of it. Anyone that's got a baggage allowance or a bad back. (laughs) (laughs) The size benefit and the weight benefit is good. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk a little bit more about some of the camera's key features, you know, starting with their sensors. So the R7 has a 32 megapixel sensor, while the R10 has a 24 megapixel sensor. So can you just tell us a little bit about the sensor design of each of those cameras and, you know, where the advantages lie? Yeah, so um, the R7 offers the high resolution of the two, being 32 megapixels, but it is uh, the flagship APS-C. and one which will appeal to wildlife photographers. And they'll look at 32 megapixels and think, yes, that allows me quite a lot of 
resolution to play with. Um, and that's important if you can't get that close to your subject um, and want to crop, then 32 megapixels allows you to do that. So uh, for that particular group of people, that's that's the right way to go. High resolution um, is quite well accepted. Well, Danny mentioned that, didn't she? She said the cropping was really useful while she was, you know, on the front line, you know, the snake story and, you know, things like that. It was, it it really does sound like it's ideal for that type of photography. Yeah, I mean, APS-C gives you a crop factor over full frame. And then this resolution sort of extends that even more. So you've got good cropping potential uh, mm. with the camera. Uh, and then moving on to the R10, it's got, 24 megapixels, um, which is a good sort of all-rounder resolution to be using. Uh, not everybody wants um, the file sizes that are generated by 32 megapixels because you've got an implication for storage. Um, and also the performance is uh, good in terms of low-light performance versus resolution. And for all-rounders, that's that's kind of what you want. Uh, so that was really the thinking behind the, the two uh, resolutions between the two cameras. Yeah, yeah, awesome. So both cameras also have dual pixel CMOS AF with deep learning technology. Now this is something, uh, this is technology that we've seen in some of Canon's flagship cameras in the past. Very impressive stuff. But for someone who hasn't necessarily experienced this technology, talk to me about what they can expect. Um, well, there's, there's a few benefits, um, but it all is summarised by the reliability um, how easy it is to focus and mm -hmm. the accuracy um, of the focus system, thanks to these two technologies um, that are combined. So I guess I want to talk as practically as possible. Um, so the system has deep learning, which means that it's been programmed to recognize subjects that you commonly encounter. So that includes people. It's a kind of obvious one. So it can detect um, eyes and heads and bodies. Uh, so, you know, if any one of those things isn't visible, it can look at another thing. So if it can't see the eyes, it will recognize a head, which is important if you're um, shooting a skier um, and you can't see their eyes, but you can see, you know, the, the head shape. So yeah. the camera can kind of intelligently go, oh, there's a head, recognize that, I'll focus on that which is really useful because you don't then have to put an autofocus point over the head as you had to do with previous cameras. You've sort of manually put your focus point over there. So it's got that recognition built in. And it's the same for, for animals. It will detect an eye if it can see it, or it will detect the body of the animal if it looks away. Um, so, you know, you can see it really clearly um, when you look through the viewfinder, there's a little blue box that indicates, and it's really reassuring that the camera sort of picks it up. Um, and adjusts as it looks away. So um, as a photographer, you think, oh, it's sticking to it. It's like glue, um, <laughs> which is brilliant because you know that you're going to get a sharp picture, which is uh, what um, people are looking for, really. That's um, in focus. Um, and so animals, people, uh, and it also includes vehicles. So if you're into motorsports, um, it, can, it can track the cars. Um, and um, that makes it, uh, you know, very flexible for people going into those scenarios. Whatever you're interested in, it can recognise subjects and also track them. 
So this is what we call our deep learning technology. And the dual pixel CMOS AF is kind of the uh, the technology layer underneath it. So it's the sensor technology where each pixel can detect autofocus. Um, and every pixel is an autofocus pixel. So it's like incredibly accurate. And that means that uh, you can focus in really low light, um, sort of even less light than moonlight in these cases. So, you know, practically speaking, you can you can go into a music event, you can go into a wedding where light's quite low and the autofocus can pick it up, pick your subject up, do all that nice recognition uh, that I talked about. And the flexibility over where to put your autofocus point, the, the system covers 100% of the focus area now. So you can put it far left, far right, up, down, wherever the subject is, uh, you can focus on it pretty much. So um, that's, that's a big change from the restricted areas that um, some people previously worked within with, with older cameras. So all of this sort of makes it easy and very flexible. Yeah, yeah. You know, I always find deep learning so fascinating in kind of all the realms of different types of technology, but in cameras in particular, it just sounds so impressive, you know, that benefit of ease and accuracy. And like you say, the reliability when it really sticks to that subject. And if it doesn't find what it's looking for, you still can rely on it to be able to track the the subject, be it birds, humans, vehicles. It it really does sound like a fantastic addition to a camera. And, you know, some people aren't as au fait with photography as the next person. So it's really useful to be able to rely on something like this that's going to ultimately do the work for you. Yeah, it takes a little while to, to trust it mm-hmm. um, because some photographers are kind of used to working manually. So I, I tell you where to focus and nothing else does. Um, so I think it's initially putting your faith into it, but you can... Um, use as much technology as you want really Mm. so you can take that first step and put the focus where you initially want it to be and then allow the camera to track so it's sort of a semi-manual semi-automatic way of getting used to the camera Um, so it does allow you to take complete control or be fully automatic yeah well it's nice to have the option isn't it because i think some people probably might be a bit more um what's the word when I have more control Cautious. over their shots. Yeah, yeah. You know, not every <laughs> not everyone's happy with just kind of letting the camera do their work. Some people like to be a bit more controlled over, over their subjects. So it's nice that there's the option to flip between the both. Yeah, I mean, in an event, for example, you can put the autofocus over one person that you that's of interest to you. So you might have three people in front of mm. you and only one that's of interest. So you, you can select that face to track and not the others. And it allows you to flick between faces, which is really nice when you get used to it. You think, oh, yeah, the camera knows there's three faces and I'm going to choose which one. And that's that's my choice. And yeah. I manually put that in. Yeah, brilliant. So the R7 can achieve continuous shooting rates at up to 30 frames per second with its electronic shutter. And it's 23 frames per second for the R10. So what does this mean in real terms, John? What types of action could users conceivably capture at these rates? Uh, well, all types of things that move. Um, I, I guess, yeah, I mean, that's incredible kind of shooting rate at the maximum. Um, and that just adds to the versatility of the camera as far as I, I sort of think. Um, so it means you have confidence shooting 
pretty much every genre with those sort of speeds. I mean, it's got a 15 frames per second mechanical shutter and like you said, up to 30 with the electronic. Um, and I suppose when you get a camera of that speed, um, you're looking to to use it in uh, wildlife and sports in particular. Uh, so wildlife enthusiasts need that speed because um, when birds do fly, you only get a fraction of a second to capture that bird and not clip the wings or the um, bits of the bird that you you want to be in the shot. So having as much speed is a is a real advantage um, to capturing the sh- the shot and the you know the shape of the bird. I mean, I'm kind of an amateur when it comes to wildlife photography. Uh, Danny knows much more, but it's those things only happen in a fraction of a second. So having a fast camera is a real advantage. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, you mentioned the 15 frames a second on the mechanical shutter. Just for those who maybe aren't that au fait with this, just can you just talk a little bit about the difference between electronic and mechanical shutters? Yeah, so the mechanical shutter is a physical shutter. Um, and um, the electronic is read out from the sensor. So um, it's kind of hard to explain without a diagram. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the electronic, one thing is, that is really different is that the silence. Yes. Um, so, you know, for certain types of usages, using the electronic shutter to be silent is an advantage. Like in a um, an event or a venue, you want to work silently. I think with certain types of wildlife, to be silent is um, an advantage. Yes, crucial. <laughs> um Certainly spending time with Danny, you know, being quiet <laughs> over long periods of time. Um, you want the camera to be silent and not like a, a continuous rattle uh, as it fires off shots. So uh, that's an advantage of electronic shutter. Um, so the mechanical shutter uh, doesn't allow, um, it's a it's a faster shutter, so it doesn't allow the um any sort of distortion and it works with flash as well so there are advantages of using the mechanical shutter over the electronic shutter but the electronic shutter is fast yeah of course but like you say they lend themselves to different scenarios so you know it's up to the whoever's got the camera to work out which you know which shooting scenario is ideal for different types of shutters yes so if you're going to use flash use the mechanical shutter Uh, if you want to be silent use the electronic shutter yeah, that's this is as simple as that, that in a nutshell. <laughs> okay, let's move on to, to video. We've touched quite briefly on video. So in terms of shooting um, video, 4K, 60p video, what does this mean, John? And is that 60p frame rate important? How important is that? Yeah, I think the high frame rate is important when it comes to uh, fast-moving subjects uh, because you get more frames per second, so therefore you can make the movement more fluid. Uh, so, you know, in the finer points of the um, action, you can kind of see see it all in all its beauty. Yeah. Um, you can also slow it down. So if you're producing a lower frame rate video and you've got 60 to work with, you can kind of be more artistic with the mm-hmm. video. So that, you know, the high frame rate is important. Um and uh, this extends also to 120 frames per second in full HD, so you can go even beyond 60p. Yes. Um, so it's just about giving that that sort of creative flexibility to have high frame rates 
when shooting video. Uh, Danny talked a little bit about the crop as well. So you can use the crop mode, um, even in 4K60, to get even closer to your subject. Um, and I think Danny talked also about combining uh, video with stills together. So being able to sort of shoot um, and go from one to the other really quickly is important. Um, you can do that with the R7 uh, because it's got a simple switch on the top. Um, so you can kind of go, right, I'm going to shoot a bit of video, shoot that action in 60 frames per second, and then I'm going to uh, catch some stills. And it all sort of goes together really nicely. Yeah, yeah. And like you mentioned, it's you know important to capture that fluidity depending on what it is you're shooting but if you know you want to change the shooting scenario a little bit slow that frame rate down and get more artistic shots you've got that option as well so it really opens up the realms of creativity yeah talk to me about where the cameras sit within the wider canon ecosystem i've seen a few mutterings about this online you know a lot of people want to know so talk to me a bit about that um yeah so they they sit within the eos range of cameras um, and I suppose we have have a couple of ranges for customers to choose from at the moment. We've got uh, DSLR as well as Cinema EOS um, and the EOS M system as well. So I guess for the customer, you know, you've got quite a few choices out there. Um, but I think it, these cameras sit as hybrids, really, I would say. Um, between photo and video and we see a trend in the market for more people shooting both absolutely um, yeah so that's that's kind of how I position it in all the cameras we've got within the EOS R system uh, but very much hybrid cameras so Let's talk a little bit about Canon's original APS-C mirrorless cameras, you know, the EOS M range. Now, some listeners out there are probably wondering what the new APS-CR system cameras mean for the range's future. So can you comment on this? And I've got to ask, does this spell the end for the EOS M series? <laughs> I think uh, we've had a really strong and successful range of DSLRs. Um, we also saw a massive demand for mirrorless cameras sort of emerging because of some of the benefits that mirrorless offers. And it's been now uh, 10 years since we launched the EOS M range. And we designed that range to be a small, um, versatile mirrorless system for mainly a consumer audience um, who are looking for kind of a small system that's differentiated from DSLR. And the... Uh, the design objectives for the EOS R system was to, you know, be the future system for for EOS. Um, you know, it has very lofty ambitions to expand what's possible um, over the next decades of imaging. Of course, we changed the mount to yeah. RF mount, um, and you know, with new high speed communication, short back focus, wide mount, are the key characteristics. So it's very very forward facing mirrorless system and we've seen you know the lens development the camera body development um and we're extending it down now to APS-C so it's it's two different systems really mm -hmm. um because their design objectives are so different between 
uh, what EOS M was aiming to achieve and what EOS R was aiming to achieve. But um, having said that, um, the all ranges are still popular with customers for individual preferential reasons. Uh, some people are choosing uh, to um, you know, still buy DSLR because they're used to that system and they still want to operate in that system. Mm-hmm. People are choosing EOS R because they want some of the benefits of EOS R. Um, and a number of people are choosing ESM. <laughs> um, so, you know, you've got sort of this big choice and customers choosing according to, you know, their preferences. Yeah. Uh, so, so the, 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 the choice is out there. Yes. It's just a case of making that choice. Well, the, the term different strokes for different folks springs to mind. That's right. You? <laughs> yeah. That's a very good way of summarizing it. <laughs> and it's just great yeah. that Canon offers that versatility offers such a wide range because, you know, everyone's different. Everyone has, you know, different goals and achievements, different things they want to achieve with a camera. And it's just nice to be able to, you know, have that option. Option is crucial. Yeah. Yeah. And technology moves on as well. Yeah, of course. So you always see new product categories arrive because, you know, it it justifies being there um, for certain reasons that um, customers are demanding, um, new things from their camera system um so so that's the reason that you know these different product categories exist yeah absolutely now we we touched on lenses a little bit earlier but i want to dive into the lenses a little bit now as i mentioned canon has released two new lenses we've got the 18 to 150 millimeter and the 18 to 45 millimeter lenses so what can you tell us about these lenses yeah they're very um versatile lenses Mm. Uh, the yeah, and and practical as well, I would say. So the eighteen to forty-five RFS lens um, is nice and compact and small. It has what's called a retracting design. So when you're not using the lens, it compacts down into a really small uh, format. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you you put it in your bag, and then when you get it out, you can kind of um, retract it, and then it's ready to go. Um, and it offers sort of a focal length that's good for just general general purpose, 18 to 45, or do landscapes, portraits, um, and sort of bits in between. Uh, the, the second lens, the 18 to 150, uh, sort of extends on that concept. So it has a sort of a bit more of a telephoto reach. So it could be your sort of all-purpose travel lens, I'd say, because um, if your travel is a bit more wide-ranging, so you perhaps have a a trip that's day one is the city, day two is a bit of sightseeing uh, with the potential to get some wildlife. Um, you might choose that lens because you need to get a little bit closer. Uh, but again, very nice and compact lens. Um, so really, these are lenses that um, are sort of versatile to go with these bodies. Yeah, yeah, they really sound it. And obviously, you know, Danny and... Um... Diana did touch on that earlier about just how useful in particular the 18 to 45 was um, while they were out and about shooting. So both new cameras can also be used with RF lenses and they offer complete compatibility with EF and EFS lenses via an adapter. Now for those people who are unfamiliar with crop factor, John, can you briefly explain what that is and what that means when using a full frame RF or EF lens with one of these APS-C bodies? Yeah, so the crop factor um, is basically appearing to extend the reach of a lens. Mm-hmm. 
and we apply a magnification factor to the lens focal length and then you get the apparent focal length of that lens so if you are shooting with a 100, 100 millimeter lens then you apply that 1.6 times crop factor and it's like you're shooting with a 160 millimeter lens and you'll see a narrowing of the field of view to 160 millimeter rather than 100 mm -hmm. when viewed through a full frame camera so you appear to get closer um, to your subject um, because of this, the smaller fat, um, the smaller uh, form factor of the APS-C format. So um, when you use a RF or an EF lens that are both full frame, you apply that crop factor uh, to the focal length, and then you get um, you get what kind of lens it is from that. And if someone is using their EF or EFS lens via an adapter, can they expect full functionality of the lens? Yeah, so um, if people are using the, the lens they've got now um, and they want to move to the mirrorless system, then it will work as if it's, it's working on their current camera. Um, so they've got the choice of adapters. You can use the adapter that's just straight adapter or the control ring adapter or the one with the filters uh, that you can put into it. But, but basically, yeah, it will be familiar with the same kind of functionality that they're using perhaps on a DSLR. Which I'm sure will be music to the ears of a lot of people listening to this because, you know, familiarity is key. Yeah, and people have invested a lot in their, in their lenses over time. Yeah. And they expect to, to use it in a similar way on their mirrorless camera compared to their DSLR. Um, so that's what we've done um, with, with the adapters. They can do that. Yeah, that is one thing I really do love about talking to people like you, John, and just talking to Canon in general. They really do think about, you know, money that people have spent on things in the past. So it's not just a completely new camera that in, you know, encourages people to drop their kit that they've had before. It's a real kind of ecosystem that enables people to dip in and dip out and use what parts they want to complement their setup. I think that's so crucial. Yeah, you're right. It's, it's a part of a wider family, so it's EOS. So that's the strength of the system. That it's, it's made of accessories and flashes and adapters. And so it's sort of a family of, of products, really. And I myself, I've got EF and EFS lenses. I still want to use them. Um, uh, so, yeah, good good to have the compatibility. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, talking about these cameras, they represent a shift in the market from DSLR to mirrorless across both Canon's full frame and, of course, now APS-C format cameras. So talk to me about what are some of the benefits photographers will find when moving to a mirrorless system. So, for instance, what are the design advantages over DSLR? Is it just about size? And, you know, what are some other features that you and Danny discovered on your shoot that people might be pleasantly surprised by? I think, yeah, there's there's a range of them. I think Danny talked about, uh, and I mentioned the, the particularly the autofocus capabilities, mm -hmm. um, being able to recognise things like eyes, uh, bodies and heads, and a range of subjects, people, vehicles, animals. Um, a mirrorless system allows you to do that, and the, I think the electronic viewfinder. Um, Danny mentioned it. For some people, it's a it is an adjustment from an optical viewfinder, but um, when you can preview your exposure um, before you 
take this shot. That's that's reassuring to know yeah. that you've got the right settings applied. Even things like picture styles, you can see um, how it's affecting the look of your image as you apply it. Um, and other things are sort of the silence of mirrorless um, because of the electronic shutter, um, how fast how fast the cameras can be. I mean, we've produced some really fast EOS R cameras now up to 30 frames per second. Um, and some things that are unique to the EOS R system compared to DSLR are the sort of combined image stabilizer that you, you can get from the R system. So up to uh, eight stops with the system uh, is possible. That's great for video. Um, it also helps you for hand-holding longer exposures uh, for photography. Um, and as you mentioned, things like the downsizing um, for some users, that's really important yeah. to have a smaller kit. Mm -hmm. And the lenses go alongside with, with that as well. So we've produced really lightweight RF lenses, um, such as the 600 f11 and the 800 f11 super telephotos. They are really light lenses, but with a really great reach. Um, for sort of amateur wildlife photography. Uh, those types of lenses were just not possible uh, before now. Uh, so I, I guess it's not one thing, it's, it's, it's an accumulation of all these things that then um, pushes you to, to if I want to take the next step in, in going to a mirrorless system because it's, it's often not one thing, it's lots of things that thinks, okay, yes, um, I will, I will um, take the next step. Yeah. And I guess the benefit of having so many advantages as well, you know, having so many things to choose from, they're not all necessarily going to relate to individuals in the same way. So people will have a different reason to move over um, to mirrorless over other, over other reasons. Yeah. I mean, even the fact that um, some of the hidden functions are like, oh, that, that can be really essential to one person. Yeah. I mean, these cameras have um, the new panoramic mode, which um, is very handy if you love panoramic shots. So kind of thing, if that's your thing, yeah. these two new cameras, you can't get it in, other, in any other EOS. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, my final question, John, for you. What about all the videographers out there? So what advantages does the mirrorless R system offer to those still shooting on a DSLR? Uh, yeah, I guess this is another answer about it's not just one thing. Yeah. It's it's loads of things in the R system now uh, for people shooting video. Um, so uh, things that spring to mind at the moment are just the availability of higher resolution and higher frame rates. So... 4K 60p with these two new cameras, up to 8K with the R5 and the R5C. Um, and also the combined image stabilizer is really powerful if you're hand-holding footage. Um, so really, really smooths out that motion, makes it much more watchable and much higher quality. Yeah. Uh, then there's also the choice of new lenses in the RF system. Um, so you've got a nice set of lightweight primes. You've got nice wide aperture primes as well and 2.8 zooms um, with good video characteristics as well as um, stills characteristics. So give nice, smooth autofocus, which is a, a great thing to have if you're a video um, shooter. Um, and I guess 
uh, VR is now possible yes. with the EOS system because the new 5.2 uh, dual fisheye lens. So that is a massive step um, for for people considering, you know, shooting a completely new uh, video format. So yeah, it's it's those are the big headlines, but there's there's lots of little things like uh, even the focus guide in the EOSR system is helpful if you're um, manually focusing. It gives you a really good sort of indication of where your focus is, and even having things like the control ring on the lens to control the aperture mm-hmm. or whatever you want it to. Um, having the advanced hot shoe with XLR accessory. These two new cameras also have no 30-minute limit for video clips, so you can shoot for longer um, with these. So it's kind of, um, it's, it's all sort of building up um, to to uh, give you better all-round video capability um, from, a, from a mirrorless camera. Yeah, yeah. Honestly, I could pick your brain for ages. You are just so incredibly knowledgeable about all things cameras and photography and videography. It really is quite fascinating just to hear you delve into just not what, just not about what these cameras can do, but just about what you can achieve in general across the whole Canon ecosystem. Um, and on that note, um, I think that's going to bring us to a close of another episode of Shutter Stories and the end of our deep dive into the R7 and the R10. You know, we're looking at the R7, which is something that's ideal for wildlife and sport. It's got, it's a faster camera, resolution increase, dual card slots. Those autofocus capabilities are impressive. And of course, how could we forget the raw burst mode, which Danny is a massive, massive fan of. And then of course, you've got the R10 talking about something that's quite similar to the R7. It's versatile, it's fast, a great high quality hybrid camera that's really lightweight and ultimately an all round travel camera. So it's been really fantastic finding out about these new additions to the Canon family. Now remember... You can check out Danny and Diana's experiences on Canon Europe's YouTube channel, the Canon Europe website, and also on Danny and Diana's social media platforms. So guys, this is why I ask you, how can people find you on your social media platforms? Okay, uh, I'll start. Um, they can find me on my travel website if they want. It's dianamiaus.com and on Instagram as Diana Mears. Perfect. What about you, Danny? And you can find me on pretty much every platform. It's Danny Connor Wild. Um, I'm uploading a YouTube video about my experience um, a few days after the team left. So uh, I'm uploading that today on YouTube. But my photos will be on Instagram. Oh, fantastic. I'm sure people will be really eager to see the kind of work that you guys do. Because honestly, it just sounds so fascinating. And like I mentioned earlier, the photos that you were able to achieve with these cameras is nothing short of jaw-dropping. Um, all that's left to say is thank you for being guests on the show and for sharing your experiences. We really, really appreciate you taking the time to share your exciting stories with us. And it's been a real pleasure to have you on the show. And as always, John, thank you so much for sharing your technical expertise expertise. Um, You've been a brilliant addition to this podcast. So thank you so much. On that note, thanks to everyone at home for tuning in. And we will, of course, see you next time. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, you can rate and subscribe in the episodes listing. If you have any thoughts or feedback on today's episode or the podcast as a whole, why not reach out to us on social media? 
You'll find our details in the description below. We'd love to hear from you.